Okay, let's get going. Good afternoon. Lots of Torah to learn. We're at Parshas Naso. And uh, it's quite a long Parsha. Baruch Hashem. That means we're going to learn, uh, we'll learn a lot together uh, this week. Uh, as you go through what you realize, it's really not that long. It's just, uh, just a lot of psukim. And by not that long, meaning not too many topics. Not too many different topics. You find uh, a lot of the, there's 176 psukim, which is the longest parsha in the Torah. Um, but a, a lot of the length of it has to do with the sacrifices of the 12 princes of Klal Yisrael. They all, they all brought what seems to be the same karbonos, the same sacrifices. And we'll, we'll focus on that uh, a little bit today. But the beginning of the parsha uh, begins with a census of the tribe of Levi and also describing the unique job requirements that each family within Levi was going to carry out. We know the Leviim as the, one who, the ones who sang in the Beis HaMikdash. Uh, when there was a Beis HaMikdash and the Mishkan in the Midbar, they did a lot more. They were the ones who went about... Sorry, they're learning Shabir of for Yitzchak ben Yechevet. So, um, sure. Okay, so, thank you. Thanks for letting me know. So thank you for sharing those basuras taivas. It's good to hear good news. Uh, it's good to hear good news. Baruch Hashem. Okay, we'll keep learning and, and davening. Um, okay, Sishon had their own, their own unique tafkid, their own unique uh, uh, purpose within the, within the Mishkan. And then we get into the laws of Tumah and Tara, the... Uh, and which camp, depending on the, the purity and impurity. Then we get on to the mitzvah of Sota, um, which is really a, a fascinating uh, uh, mitzvah in the Torah that we, in Dafyomi, just completed a, uh, the entire Mesecha Saita. It is such a, a fascinating idea how you can have a family that comes to a situation like Saita. I find it to be really... Um, it, it tickles my mind how you can have such a thing, and I don't. I'm not referring to the immorality in that. That doesn't tickle my mind at all. Um, what I'm referring to is the the whole setting that leads. It's like you have a couple in a shalom bias situation, obviously, but instead of going through the regular routes of dealing with your shalom bias, uh, either like going for help or getting a divorce or choosing one or the other, they take this interesting route of like warning her in front of witnesses to not go into a room with a specific man and she goes into the room with a specific man with either one or two witnesses, Machlokas in the Mishnah and then if she does that so then the husband decides that to help the Shalom Bayis they should go to the Beis HaMikdash and go through this incredible process uh, it's a good question. It doesn't say anywhere it didn't happen. Ben Sarimari says it's pretty. It, it's impossible to happen. Ben Sarimari, it's an impossibility. If you go through the details of how Ben Sarimari works, you can. It, it is. I mean, point oh oh oh. It's like the same possibility that there's no God in the world. Like, it's it's almost like uh, it's not seichel. This is possible to happen. It's not more possible. It could be. It did happen. It just it tickles my mind. They, they, what leads to a situation mm-hmm. where. You have a, a couple that together is deciding to go. This is the smartest thing to do. <laughs> go through this process. We're going to go to the base and make touch in front of everybody. And we're going to erase Hashem's name 
to bring shalom in our in our house, and then when the waters prove that she's innocent, she gets all the blessings in the world that she ever dreamed of. For like it, it, it the whole concept really, there's there's a lot to talk about and uh, 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 a lot to schmooze on. Yeah, all right. So the whole thing is a walking. She she could say, "I'm not drinking." She can say that. She can say, okay, give me a get. Don't pay me a ksuba. I'm done. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not drinking the water. She's choosing to drink. A husband can hand his wife a get very easily. Nothing's going to happen. But like they're taking this, this different route. I, I've seen in the Mepharshim that some of the Mepharshim explained that, that the only thing that they try creating a setting for such a thing. But if you get into the details of it, it's like, it's, it's wild. Like, what's the problem? You couldn't afford a ksuba? Like, like, like what happened? Like, what's leading? And, and it's it just, it must be. There's something that we're supposed to be Taking with us, yeah. Go ahead. Moshe Rabbeinu used this though. He ground up, he ground up the, in the, in the, the ego, and he ground it up, and he had every he, he did the same thing. He had them drink, right? He ground up the ego. He had them drink, and people who sinned with the ego ended up uh, ended up dying for that. I'll tell you something that's that's that is gonna that's that's gonna maybe be the same. You'll tell me, or maybe it's different. And that is here's another level, and I'm throwing like a whole two-hour conversation into this. Hashem's name is not really being erased, if you notice it. They put God's name into the water, but it says what happens? It brings Shalom. Shalom is one of God's names. One of the names of Hashem is Shalom. So the truth is, what's happening by the Saita, we, we call it erasing Hashem's name. The truth is Hashem's changing His name to Shalom. So there, there's like a... It's, I, I think there's there's an added detail like you can't like break it. It's 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 mom is beautiful. Really, really so much. Yeah. That, set up that kind of situation. Yeah, uh-huh. it's brought it's brought down. The kind of kind of like uh, kind of th- didn't threaten, but <laughs> it kind of threatened. You know, kind of thought about it. Uh, thought about it. it. It's just it's it, it's if you go through Saita, it's mom is incredible. And then we have. Um, we also discussed the, the laws of, of uh, vows, the laws of Nazirus, a uh, person becoming a Nazir, which is a difference between Sota. Sota really tells me, to stay away from bad. Nazir is Asetov. It's like a person who desires to, um, to improve and to come closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which also is, again, I think we focused on this last year, so that's why I'm like hopping over these things to get to a little bit later in the parsha, so to discuss an idea that we haven't discussed previously, um, but the the sor meirah of saita and the asay type of nazir, nazir is somebody who wants to bring themselves close to Hashem. We're calling that doing good, and there's a mitzvah that we learn in parshas kedoshim of kadesh atzmecha b'muterlach, sanctify yourself in that which is good for you, in, some, in that which is permitted to you. Which means, in this example we've given in Perkei Avis, that donuts are kosher. To eat a dozen donuts for breakfast is not kosher. <laughs> not kosher. It doesn't make a difference if it has a heksher. The word, the word kosher means proper and fit. That's if you translate the word kosher. Kosher doesn't mean you can eat it. The word kosher means it's prepared, it's fit, it's proper. You should have so known that shavuos with the cheesecake, right? Yeah. Right? But something you start eating, you, you start with something. So the Torah lets me know, that 
there's a muscle, there's a muscle of training that a Jew should have even in areas that are permitted to teach ourselves how to balance and, and how to, not balance, how to uh, make uh, boundaries around how we do what we do. We discussed this previously, controlling oneself and how we, how we eat, how we eat healthy. I gave an example a number of weeks ago of the way that I personally diet when I need to eat healthy <laughs> is I make it not kosher. That's, that's in my mind, that's the only way that other people will eat in, in small pieces, in smaller amounts. The way that I, again, in my mind, the way, that, the, the way that I need to eat healthy is I make certain foods in my mind. I say, that is not kosher for me. I'll decide when it's kosher again, but the same way I have no taiva, I have no desire to eat that food that's not kosher. So right now I'm off of cheese. It's not kosher. That's it. I'm done. For four months I'm off of cheese. It's not, it has cheese in it. It's not kosher. I'm done. Right? So that, but that's me. That's, that's how my own, that's my own mind works. Now, when we do certain things like that, I'm not dealing with health. I'm dealing with Yiddishkeit. I'm dealing with life now. The muscle of, of, creating structure for my own success is being built. So in a way, the Torah says, even if something's mutter, even if something's allowed, it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean that you should always be doing that which is allowed. Therefore, in a moment, therefore, in a sense, a nazir is a beautiful thing. On the flip side of it, a nazir is a sinner. The Torah itself calls a nazir a sinner. Says the Gemara, why? Why do you bring a sin offering when you're done being a Nazir? God made wine kosher. Who are you to make it non-kosher? You're making a 614th mitzvah? What is this, a new religion? Well, you, you, there's no such thing as 612 mitzvahs. There's no such thing as 614 mitzvahs. So in a, in a sense, a person is an unintentional sinner by forbidding something on themselves that is really mutter. So what's the message in this? So the message of this is like this. This is how these two contradictory ideas of on one hand it's good, on the other hand it's not ideal, come together and that is as follows. And the, the Gemara itself explains this. This is, this is what the sages teach us. explain what a Nazir is? A Nazir is a Nazarite, a person who says, a person who the, the Torah gives a unique mitzvah, um, which is a vow, where somebody makes a vow, they say, I am accepting upon myself to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite is, has certain laws. For example, they're not allowed to eat any grapes or derivatives of grapes, and they're not allowed to cut their hair. Those are the two primary laws. They're also not allowed to become impure. They're not allowed to become tummy mace. And if you don't give a set time for this, it's automatically 30 days. We could accept to be a Nazarite for a year. You could accept to be a lifetime Nazarite. And there, there are certain laws. People, are, people become Nazarites, don't cut their hair. Uh, throughout their life and, and what happens is If you do cut your hair It's a biblical sin You can create Your new biblical sin Something somebody else Has never forbidden before And now because of a statement uh, a, a mere phrase It becomes forbidden So getting back So that's a Thank you That's what a nazir is So on one hand You're separating yourself From the world On the other hand Which we say in one hand Is good You're creating your own structure On the other hand We say you're, you're going to bring A karma fatness You're going to bring A sin offering at the end What's the balance in this So the answer is that In an ideal way, I should be able, as a person, as an individual, I should be able to conduct myself with a 
lifestyle that is perfect with Hashem. That would be ideal. Okay? I'm not ideal. I'm not ideal. Doesn't mean I'm not ideal like I have a problem. I don't have a problem. I have a Yitzhar. We all do. So we're not always going to be thinking of being one with Hashem. We can work on that and we're supposed to work on that and strive on it. There is a Yitzhar that's even going to get us within that Avoda. Right? With, within trying to work on something like that. There's the Yitzhar. Again, he's older, smarter, more experienced. He's got... Knows exactly what he's doing. At least for me. I don't know. He's, he's much smarter than me. So there's a story, by the way, brought down, uh, I forget, one of it in the early 1900s. Not that long ago. I forget which, uh, which Rosh Hashiva it was. It was Rav Hutner. Rav Hutner in the back one. When Rav Hutner was a Talmud in Slabodka, the altar of Slabodka, of Nassim Finkel, saw him learning without a Chavrusa. That's why I think I heard the story with. Um, see, he was very he he was very meticulous that everybody should have a study partner. You don't learn on your own. So he said, "There a footner who's where's your chavrusa?" So he said, "I have a chavrusa." He said, "Who?" He said, "Ma'itzahara." <laughs> so he said, "Why do you want to learn Yitzhahara? He says, "Rebbe, he always comes on time. He's smart. <laughs> he's, he never misses a seder. He's the best. He's always there. He's, he's always with me." All right. So that's but that's the. Uh, I think he told him to still get a chavrusa, but the point the point was uh, the point was well taken. So we strive to do we, we strive to be one with the Ratzon Hashem with, with what Hashem wants. Yet built in to our existence is, as they say, perfectly imperfect. Right? Is this Yitzhahara that there's going to be times where we struggle, and if if you if you take a seesaw and we fi- you find yourself, call it, falling lower on one side. In order to pick yourself back up and balance it out, you're going to have to go to an element of extreme on the other side. The Mishnah Avos tells us, "Va'asu siyagla Torah, create borders for Torah." The commentators say it's not talking about Torah like this Torah that I'm holding here. It means your own personal Torah. Everybody has to make their own personal borders for their Torah. I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. There are certain times where I need to be more fanatical about mitzvot than you do. Not because I'm greater, but because I'm weaker. So if I find I'm weak in my honesty, if I find I'm weak in my Lashon Hara, I may need to go to an extreme and say, you know what? I'm not talking about people from 5 to 8 p.m. And somebody else... There's no need to do that. Completely unnecessary. But that's how I'm starting to balance out my seesaw. So I can come back to a equilibrium that is sensible for me in my personal life. So it's not as we look at people like, oh, they're all from, or it's not necessarily. It's like you got to do what works for you. Right? On both sides. On both sides. You need to, right? There's, there's this balance needs to be there. So the mitzvah of Nazir teaches me that on one hand, it's a beautiful thing. You have somebody who finds a weakness... And I say, you know what? I, I'm having a difficult time with my impulses. I'm having a difficult with whatever it is. So I'm going to be, I need to create more structure in my life. I need to start sanctifying things that are permitted to me. I'm, I'm too, one, one story the Gemara brings of a nausea was somebody who goes overcome with arrogance of his handsomeness. <laughs> no, he was, a, he was a shepherd. 
And he was, it says, the story says this guy came to the Beis HaMikdash and Shimon HaTzadik refused to eat from sacrifices of Nazarites. He felt it was coming from a place of sin. If you would be ideal, you wouldn't need to bring. You wouldn't need to become a Nazir in the first place. It's like you're overly religious. He didn't like the whole concept. It says he was a Kohen and he would refuse to eat from the sacrifices of a Nazir. It's very interesting. He felt like there was something lacking in the Avodah Sashem. You hear this? Like somebody's trying to be a little bit beyond and you have a Tzaddik noticing that it's coming from a place of a gap. There's something very deep about this. Very deep. You have to think about our own Avodah Sashem. You know, like, don't always think that going, doing more is more. Sometimes more is less. It's, it's wrong. It's not, it's, you have, you have to know. And Shubhan Tzaddik wouldn't eat until one time the Gemara says there was a very handsome fellow, long locks, Long hair that came. They came to Shimon HaTzadik and Shimon HaTzadik asked him, he said, my son, what are you doing? And it's a fascinating story. And he told Shimon HaTzadik, he says, you should know I'm a shepherd and I was by the water, I was watering the sheep and I saw my reflection and all of a sudden, started to flex. Right? Start, you know, checking out your biceps, making sure your physique. It's like I'm a good looking guy. He's all in, he gets all excited. And he says, I caught myself and I said, and I said, uh, you arrogant person, what, what are you getting all excited about? You're temporary. What are you doing? You're getting excited about something, a gift that Hashem gave you? So I accepted Naziris upon myself and I said, I can't, I'm, I'm getting too caught up. He, he felt an extreme, right? He, he felt the sun. He had to balance himself out and he came. He ate from that card. He says, this guy knows what he's doing. Right? This guy knows why a person should be a Nazir. You don't be a Nazir to be more religious. You be a Nazir because you're working on your Avedis Hashem. That's why. <laughs> That's what it is, right? I'm trying to be a better me. I'm trying to understand what it means to be... So Shimon HaTzadik agreed to, to um, uh, partake from that. But in that sense, it's a beautiful message. We said there's a contradiction with the Nazir, right? Contradiction. Is it good? Right? Sanctify yourself with that which is permitted. It's a good thing. Or is it a sin? The answer is, it depends where you're coming from. Like everything. It depends where you're coming from. If I know for myself that making myself a Nazir is going to allow me to be more truthful to me, it is a tremendous mitzvah, despite the fact that I'm going to bring a sin offering at the end. The sin offering I'm bringing at the end because I realize it's coming from a necessity. But for somebody to just say, yeah, I finished all 613, I'm ready for more. It's like, really? That's it. Right, that, that's we, we, it. Shouldn't be coming from a place like that. Like, bring it on. Yeah, I could handle another one. <laughs> right, I, I thought her out. So, when you say this, though, does this mean like there are some women who take on extra mitzvahs and doing things, let's say, in reform conservative, where they do their and they agree with her? And, and, and so, in other words, that's extra. Would you say? If it's something that inspires mitzvahs itself, so then, you, so then, perhaps what you're saying is connected to this, and I agree. But we, when you have, sometimes people will do something, okay? So the example you're giving is you have a woman who walks around with a yarmulke, let's say. It's completely unnecessary. It's an unnecessary thing. It's not for various reasons. There's no mitzvah to wear a yarmulke. Doesn't. There's no. It's not one of the six thirteen. Tzitzis is a mitzvah say. Right? It's a mitzvah Shazman Grama. It's a time bound mitzvah because only a mitzvah during the day. It says, to see the tzitzis. The Gemara says, there's no, since it's only at a time where people generally see at night where there's no light, no mitzvah to see. So it's time bound. Women aren't obligated. Fine. 
And everybody starts, Rashi's daughters were Tillemian. Rashi's daughters, they start bringing like all these, all of a sudden we become experts in history, you know, by, about, about specific things. But here's the idea. And again, everybody needs to be honest and just know, know for themselves. But if the purpose of taking on these extra things is going to help stimulate me in my 613, in my performance of mitzvahs, that this is, this non-obligatory mitzvah, I'm not doing because I want to do this mitzvah. I'm doing it because it's helping me perform the mitzvahs that I do need to do. Okay, I think there's, you could have a conversation. But if it becomes that itself becomes the topic of conversation, so that's wrong. That's wrong. Because again, it's not about being an Evan Hashem anymore. It's not about what Hashem wants me to do. It's about what I want to do. It's about what I want to do. So if Hashem wants me to do something else and I'm doing what I want to do, that's, that's not Avaidus Hashem. That's not being in a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch So, yeah. But it seems to me like whether it's a Chumrah or sometimes being a Minhag. Like some people look like that. Minhag is like a It's very important to know what's a halacha, what's a minug, and what's a and what's a chumr. Right, a minug is there to protect certain mitzvahs. All minhagim are there to protect specific mitzvahs. Okay, you can have a minhag, which is a minug in klal yisrael, specific, more commonly amongst Hasidim, and it's seeped a lot into the litvisha world of not eating gebrucks on Pesach. That's a real minug, but that's not a minug that stands by itself. That's a minute that I'm concerned about coming to eat chametz. And therefore, if anything that has flour in it is not fully baked, touches liquid, it might become chametz, there's a source for that minhag, for that custom. But Jews don't have rituals. We're not a ritualistic religion. We don't just do things. We don't just do things. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. And if I don't know the reason, I have to go find out the reason. Show me anything in the Torah, even the greatest chok, the greatest decree of uh, the paraduma, the red heifer, or not wearing shotness, it just means, you start learning about it, you could come across eight reasons. There's eight, we know exactly why we do it. The reason why it's called a chok is because these types of things, there's no way for the human mind to completely understand them and to grasp the compl- in, in, uh, you know, totally what, what we're dealing with. But in general... It's uh, you know we don't just do and hug him. We don't create random things that are like, oh, why do we do it? Because we've been doing it. Because that's what some, we only answer like that if if we're not educated enough, and that's fine. So we have to go find out why. Yeah. So um, just real quick, so Nita is a beautiful example of those boundaries, and I think that's one of the beautiful differences between other religions and Judaism is there's not it's not abstinence, it's boundaries. And then the other thing is, I think Hashem made cooking, so we were know it's okay to say because I said so. <laughs> yeah, but but when you say as a as, when you say as a person in position, because I said so, you're not doing it for power. For what? For power. You don't. It's not really because you said so. It's because you have very good reasons. But it's not the right time to get into it. Okay? And that concept is, is similar to this. That very much does it. But in your... People are like, why, why does it need to be something? Because it has to be like that. And I'm not just making this up. 
when you go back and break down the, the rhyme and the reason and what's going on, it's because that's the only way for it to work. Yeah, and that, that gives us the same opportunity to say, because I said so. Okay. Moms so, say that all the time. Huh? Moms say that all the Moms time. Moms say it all the time. All the time. You got it. Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you something. You know, I, I love how, as we live, things that we know for years just click. Some things I haven't, certainly I haven't clicked in my mind, and they will as I, as I keep on living. I recall that statement that you're saying. I remember I was in eighth grade. My mother always said that to me. Always said that to me. And I know that. I, I, and I don't have this like, again, I don't remember a lot of things. I do remember certain things. When I was in eighth grade, so my dad, as many of you know, was the dean uh, the, the, of the high school in Nair Israel. So I'm in eighth grade and I've shared some incidents in our class of uh, troublesome classmates. And the principal of my middle school came in and he gave it to us over that because we were we had a lot a lot of chutzpah, a lot of chutzpah. Um, and he, I think by mistake, I'm hoping it was by mistake. I remember him, red in the face, very upset. And he says, "You guys are all going to Masif the next year. You're going to high school next year. You should know. I don't care if you got your acceptance letters yet. Any one of you that gets out of line, I'll make sure." That the yeshiva doesn't take you. Who? No. And me and Anubagar started laughing. It was Anubagar in my class, and I was like, "We're gonna do it." Tell my dad, kick me out of the house. Like it's his school. Like you know, I was like laughing out loud. But I remember him being so mad. He's like telling us we're not. We act out, and I'm like, "Mm-hmm." <laughs> like what am I supposed to say? Like, Right, and we're like looking at each other. Like his father owns the place. My father's the principal. <laughs> like, you know, what he's supposed to do? You know. Um, so be it as it may. Um, still, because my dad was a principal, I had decided I'm not just going to yeshiva because my dad's the principal. Right. So I told my father, ah, I want to leave the house. I want to leave. So he's like, Really? Where are you going? He's like, I'm going to yeshiva out of town. He's like, okay, where are you going? I said, I don't know. Just find me a yeshiva out of town. I don't want to stay home. You and mommy are boring, whatever. Okay. So, so he let me uh, interview in Scranton, Pennsylvania. In the yeshiva in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, so I went there. Now the problem is, as you know, we're a connected family. So the problem is that the yeshiva who generally interviews for Scranton, it's kind of like my uncle. <laughs> kind of like my uncle But not really Reb Chaim Bressler Shlita He's uh, a tremendous tzaddik He's the, one of the Shivas in Scranton So he uh, He grew up in an irreligious uh, To irreligious parents And they davened In my Bubby Per And my Zaidi Per Shul Where nobody was religious They were the only religious family And as soon as families became religious They sent them off to the religious communities to live, they were always like the only religious ones in town. But Rechaim Bressler, as a younger, uh, as a younger kid, basically grew up in my mother's house. All my mother, all like my mother and her brothers, and the whole story of the Sefer Tyra, You know, they stole the Sefer Tyra, That old Misa, Rechaim Bressler was like involved in that. Like he was ten years old, like you know, a, a whole thing. So he's not my blood relative, but my my mother and her brothers considered him to be their stepbrother. Like he grew up in their house. So I went. So 
my father's taking me to Scranton for an interview, and sort of high and brush, like, I'm not meeting Menachem. Like, that's a joke, too. Like, you know, we got to be serious, you know, come to Yeshiva. So they had me sit with somebody else. Anyway, that, that whole thing is for this one, this, I, I just remember this one incident in Scranton. That was a lead up to this. Um, we're unloading, so my parents came with me for Shabbos to Scranton. There was like a family simcha also. Um, they had a cousin there. And my mother asked me to bring the suitcases in from the car. And I was in eighth grade, 30, almost 14 years old. I was like, we're not going to bring in the suitcases. And I'm like, no, I'm tired. She's like, bring in the suitcases. I was like, why? She's like, because your mom said something. And I just remember, like, it was that moment. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I, it was like an epiphany. Like, she had told me that. Thousands of times beforehand, at a certain point, I'm like, "Oh yeah, she's my mom." Like, not just like some random lady who's like, you know, trying to tell me what to do. It was like it, it was strange, and I'm not even telling you like a like anything deep, but it was like it was like a moment in my life where, at the age of 13, I first realized that like there's something to a child respecting a mom's wishes as opposed to a child doing what a mom says. I think that's what shifted for me. Until then, I did what a mom said. And it was, for some reason, taking a suitcase out of the car and the way she presented it, that I realized there's something in life, which is a child, it was like, it became more of a son-mother type of grasping of the relationship than it was just a child doing what an adult is, uh, is asking them to do. It was like a little bit of a, it was a, it was a shtickle mind shift uh, for me at that time. But be it as it may, here we go. So now we're starting. We're half hour in and we're starting. Huh? How was the interview? So I got accepted. I got accepted. It was a little scary, but I decided to stay home with my parents, even though they were born. Baruch Hashem. So, but you know what's interesting? You know what's interesting? When Yaakov, my son, who's now in 10th grade, was looking for yeshivas, Scranton was on the front of my mind. Maybe from that. Maybe because like that's where I, you know, he, he interviewed in Scranton, uh, Baltimore, where my father's Zechariah Bracha was that, and, and in Minneapolis. Um, yeah, so. That's, but maybe that's where Scranton stayed on the radar. Yeah. Just going back to the time you thought about us, I was just wondering what's the difference there between the Minnesota and the Gabrux is a minnow. Is a minnow. A minig is something that's been passed down throughout the generations within, within families. If somebody doesn't have a, a um, th- there's various customs with it, it could, I guess it could play out as a minig, which is also a chumrah. You can have certain chumras that are not minhagim, you could have minhagim that are not chumras. For example, Sfira uh, Saomer. So those of us Ashkenazim who follow the Ramah, we have a choice whether to keep the first 33 days of mourning of not getting haircuts and music or the second one. There's two minhagim. There's two customs. One is not more machmir than the other. One is not a stricter one. It's, a, it's, it's two general customs. And that's a, uh, you know, you can have times where something is a chumrah and, and not a minhag. It's a stringency that a person has taken uh, upon themselves. It could be something for us in America. and it's all it's different. And outside of the United States, anywhere it's different. Of let's say Chol Yisrael milk, okay? something that is in our family, so that's why it comes out in the forefront of our mind. But Rav Moshe Feinstein in America says all milk is Chol Yisrael. 
and therefore it's totally kosher. It's totally kosher for those of us who generally follow the rulings of Rav Meisha Feinstein. Now, if somebody wants to keep what we call Chol of Yisrael, right, which everybody really keeps Chol of Yisrael, Rav Meisha Feinstein's tshuva writes, we're all keeping Chol of Yisrael. He says FDA regulations makes it Chol of Yisrael. Um, but he says, if a person wants to be machmir, right, a person wants to be strict, and shmir snepish, so then uh, you have another set of Jewish eyes that are watching it, it's a, it's a finer thing to do. That's not, it's not a minug, because Chalav Yisrael is a halacha. It says in the Shulchan Aruch, you can only drink Chalav Yisrael milk. So the, what we call, Ramesha actually coined a new phrase for us Americans, which he doesn't call it not Chalav Yisrael and yes Chalav Yisrael. That's what we do. It's a mistake. Uh, because there's no such thing as not Chalav Yisrael. The way Ramesha says it. Ramesha writes, he says, if you want to coin a term in the difference, he says, you could, he says we should coin it Chalav Stam, which is plain milk, regular, regular milk, and Chal of Yisrael, where there was a Jewish set of eyes looking at it. But what we say is not Chal of Yisrael, really, the word not Chal of Yisrael means not kosher. It needs to be Chal of Yisrael. Rav Maisha was relying on, he, he proves his approaches with the FDA regulations that they have in place, and the oversight, it takes care of, uh, it takes care of the Shulchan uh, the Shulchan Aruch's ruling for, uh, for Chol Yisrael and everything in America is Chol Yisrael. Now, the, people forget this, but it doesn't apply in other countries. He was, relying, he was talking about the United States and the USDA and, and all, all these things that, uh, that come into place. But in other countries, you would have to keep Chol Yisrael unless you have a ruling that their regulations are, are similar up to par with, with, with um, the, uh, the American standards. Okay, so I, I want to uh, speak a little bit about the, the Carbonus. Okay. The sacrifices. We're, we're, gonna, we're, we're just going to go. We're just going to go. Okay. So I, I want to share something that I, I saw from one of my Rebbeim in the mirror. His name is Reveldi Melech Reznik. He sent this out a few years ago. He sent out a beautiful Dvartaira on this week's parsha, and it really left, uh, gave, gave me incredible food for thought. And it connects to Shavuos, which was last week, and brings out a beautiful idea in what happened with the sacrifices. So we mentioned before that all the the Nisim, the princes of each tribe, brought the same exact one. And it doesn't just, same exact sacrifices. And it doesn't just say like, and all 12 tribes brought the same sacrifice. <laughs> it goes through, and this tribe brought the following sacrifices. And this one brought the following sacrifices. On and on and on and on. And like, why don't you just say, hey, here's the names. They were wonderful people. And these were the sacrifices that were brought by all 12 of them. That the Torah purposely doesn't do it. The general message brought out by all by the commentators, just to give an overlying idea of um, of what that is, is it's letting me know that you could have. Can I know All of us here, if somebody were to walk into the room, what would they see? We're all learning the same thing. We're all doing the same thing. So you have somebody who's not connected at all. They come in. I'm like, eh, all you, uh, all you Torah Jews, man, eh, you just go to shul and you sit down and you do the same thing. That is very, I'm not saying people do that, but you, you could have that one. That is a very unsophisticated way to understand what's happening. 
A person who's sophisticated can walk into a shul, can walk into a bismedrish, can walk into their room right now and look at each of us and say, the journeys that all of us have taken to be sitting here are so incredible that even the way we are soaking in this setting is completely different. What this setting means to you is different than what it means to you and to me and like that. That is a person whose thinking gets that. We're not, we don't just, you don't go into shul and just like open up a sitter and we're all doing the same thing. It's, we're worlds. We're, we're, we're different worlds coming together to serve Hashem. It's mamish what's happening here. So what the Mepharshim explained as an overriding idea is the Torah is giving off this idea where you have the Nesim, they're all bringing the same exact sacrifices and these sacrifices are totally different. It was different, different sacrifices. The animals looked the same, they were bringing it, they were all davening shachras. But each one is completely different. You can't just say, and they all brought a sacrifice because they served Hashem totally different. Completely different. Doing something in a way that's proper to serve Hashem, but the service is, is completely different. So there's, um, there's a song that is commonly sang on Shabbos. Um, Everybody's got their own uh, tune to that, right? So one of the one of the stanzas that we say is, um, uh, let's say to that tune. There's different tunes, right? So right? That they all came at once, and nasevenishma. They all came under the bris. Nasevenishma. The words we will do, we will do, and we will listen. Amru ke'echad, we said at once. Amru ke'echad. I want you to think about something. This is incredible. We as a nation didn't just say nasa v'nishma. Are familiar with those words? Nasa, we will do v'nishma and we will understand. We didn't just all say it. We said it in unison. You didn't have one guy go, nasa! And everybody's like, nasa! <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> My father told me he was when he was a kid, so he grew up on the Lower East Side of New York, so they had all these chazonim. It used to be a lot more popular than, than it is now. So he said he walked into a specific shul for, uh, for Tfilas Geshem, you know, by Mosav, and there was a big chazan there. At the end of Tfilas Geshem, so the chazan says, be for blessing, and everybody would say, Amen, right? So, so he said in this specific shul, this guy, this chazan had a choir. So the choir would generally end off with the last word of the chazan. She said it sounded like this. The chazan was, and the choir goes, and everybody says, Amen. He's like, what? Like, Amen. Like, whoa, like, careful what you say, you know. Got to be careful. To death. No, not that one. That's not what we mean. That's not what we're going on. Um, so it wasn't like a chazan started Nasa and everybody repeated Umru ke'echad Nobody went before anybody else And nobody went after anybody else The maila of Nasa v'nishma We say in this, in this stanza Umru ke'echad We didn't just say it We said it completely uh, We said it completely as one Okay So the, 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 the general take on this Is why, why was it necessary for that to happen First of all so that Sometimes we imitate ourselves 
and we imitate others. So it was important that we weren't just saying Nasa Vanishma because somebody inspired us to do it. It had to come from the gut. If somebody else said, come, let's all do this together, even if we agreed to do it together, I'm doing it because this person asked me to do it. Kind of like you're sitting at a shul dinner and one person starts clapping. <laughs> Everybody starts clapping, right? I'm, my wife's like, why are you the official clapper? I'm like, yeah, it makes people feel good. Like, you know, just, come on. <laughs> You know, it's good. It's good to clap. It's good to, you know, it's not only make people feel good. You give, you give a car as a tithe. People work very hard, right? So they want to thank the chair people of the dinner. They always need one person to start clapping. They deserve, they deserve our, our yashikayach. They, you know, you look around. That doesn't come from nowhere, right? The bunch of made the world, and these people made the dinner. So you got to be appreciative. But everybody else ends up clapping, even if they don't feel the same akar as a tithe. It's good. It's good to do, but not necessarily coming from the same place of sincere gratitude. So one approach is, that's why everybody said it together, but Rabbi Resnick um, shared as follows. He says that there's an added chiddush in this. Not only did people not say it later, nobody said it earlier. Nasa Vinishma also means nobody said it before, uh, before somebody else. And he explains what's, what's the message in that. So he explains what our parsha. That our Parsha, it says all the Nisim brought the same exact sacrifices, the same measurement of flour, the same Ketiris, and it's repeated 12 times. And the Medrash says, They were all, the, the size was the same, the weight was the same, it was all mamish, all, all, uh, all uh, you know, to the T. None of them brought any more than his friend. Amar lehem HaKadosh Baruch HaKadosh Baruch says to them, you, by not giving any more than the next person, are giving kavod to your friend. You're giving respect to your friend by not having to outdo them. And therefore, I'm going to give you kavod um, as well, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed their sacrifices to even be brought on Shabbos And they, they brought it every day There were 12 Nisim And the carbon of Ephraim Ended up being Makriv on Shabbos If they would not have brought The exact same sacrifices The Shevet Ephraim The tribe of Ephraim Would not have been allowed To, um, to uh, uh, be Deich Shabbos So Rabbi Rezik pointing out like this He says that, that Human nature needs two things One is to fit in People need to, we all have a desire to be part of a, part of a chavr, part of a group. At the same time, we have a need to be noticed. People don't want to like just be in a group and not have an impact. You want to be in a group because it's important to be part of a group. That, right, there's there's uh, one of the most beautiful things that the Rabbani Shalom, that the Rabbani Shalom uh, does, I think. I'll, I'll just give a little insight to it. Is I, I love how like every group, every shul needs the person who is good, has like a, a good eye for things. Every shul needs the person who's like a good dancer. Every shul needs that person who's just got like big muscles. You know, who like does like a good hagba. You know, you always need like the people who enjoy the singing you need the people 
who who uh, like they're good to like hang out with and whatever. I was talking to a, a yeshiva and they were about a boy. They were, they were hesitant to take the boy because of the boy's uh, abilities and learning. And I said, I'm gonna tell you something. I taught this kid who was in my class when I was teaching fifth grade. This boy does not have. You're right. He doesn't have the greatest intellectual cojos. I'm telling you, he anchored my classroom. I don't care if you don't understand the word I said. He was where he was where I needed him to be when I needed him to be there. You always need the people that show up. They're, they're, that's it. You, you need your core of people that just come. Telling you this kid's going to be asset to your yeshiva. When it's time for shachris, he'll be there. When it's time for shir, I don't care whether it's ended. This kid is going to be there. Every Rebbe will love him. And eventually his kokos will come out. You'll see. He's a good, he's a good person. His kokos will come out. He's not going to be disrupted. Okay? Every shul, every, you need the people who show up. You need the people who quetch. You need the people who, who are positive. You need it. No, you need, like, that's what, that's what builds a kahila. That's what builds a kahila. One thing, like, it's such an ad, like, it's a, now you used to be like, wow, the maisa, what is it? I just, there's something, there's something about the, the different ways that people get involved and connect. It's so chashuv to a kahila. I, we don't want a community where everybody's like, yeah, we're, we're all good at this. It's like there's something beautiful about the, you know, just even even the parts that you get frustrated with. Something that's a kahilla. It's mamish. That's that's what a community is. So, on on one hand, we need to be a chevra, right? And we all feel individually the need to be part of a chevra. On the other hand, there's the there's the need to feel that like I in in some way I do something a little better than somebody else. Like the examples that we gave, it is it is important to to have that. Um, and, and unfortunately, not unfortunately, but the reality is, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate, I can't, I, I don't know. The reality is that the way we view ourselves often is how we bring something different than others. Because there's a beauty to it. Because there's a beauty in having the different personalities and approaches in serving Hashem. So w- the way that we tend to, to judge ourselves is by in what what can I bring to the table that somebody else doesn't? And it's important to know it, but at the same time, here's the idea Rabbi Reznik said. Make sure it's never chas v'shalom in a way that it brings a lack of kavod to somebody else. Even though we have to know that HaKadosh Baruch gives us strength to add to a group, to a kehillah, it can never be where I'm doing it and you're not doing it. I'm best friends with her and you're not. It has to be, I'm best friends with her, and I want to be friends with everybody. That's it. But it's not about, I tell my kids, I ask them, I don't instruct them, I'm not such a demanding father, but I do have certain things that like irk me. I don't like when my kids hold hands with other kids. I don't like it. I've shared this before. Not, not when they're little. I mean when they're like 10 years old. That age range. Irks me. It irks me. I think it's, I think it's not nice to the other friends. When they, see, when they see two girls walking, holding hands, the other kids in the class, in the group, are hearing, I'm not holding hands. You get what I'm saying? It's like, we're best friends. You're not trying to say, you're not my best friend, but that's really what you're saying. And you have to be sensitive. You have to, we have to have like that sensitivity. Like, you know, yes, we can have a special relationship, but it doesn't need to be like showing that, uh, that we are different. So, such by Resnick, and we'll end with this, is that when the Nasim decided to bring, they were, again, you, in a sophisticated way, you walked up to each of the Nasim, they were bringing the sacrifices completely different. But when they decided to bring their karbonas together in a way 
that the second person who brought the sacrifices did not feel the need to add something different that the first one didn't, didn't do. He didn't feel the need to do that. That sensitivity and the fact that they were careful to give kavod to one another, Hashem gave them the honor, gave them the kavod to bring these karbonas, uh, uh, to bring these karbonas even on Shabbos. And this is one of the, how he explains, this is one of the, the conditions to Ma'an uh, Tair, this is one of the conditions of Ma'an Tair, that everybody said, it all happened at once. Nobody said it later than anybody else, that we're not copying anybody, nobody said it earlier than anybody else, I'm the one who started the Nasa of Anishma, I was the one, it was, it was all together, it was all together, that was the, that's the uh, sensitivity over here, that the terrorists, uh, the terrorists break it down. Okay, we'll hold it here for today, any uh, questions or comments?